Uh, last month, Doug came into my office and he asked me if I would be interested in preaching the first message in our We Are In This Together message series that centers around family. And I really enjoy preaching and I really appreciate that Doug is willing to let me, uh, give me the opportunity to get better. And so, it's, of course, of course, Doug, I'll talk about family. And he left the room and he walked out and uh, I was sitting there kind of excited and thinking about what I was going to say. And then I had this soul crushing moment where I realized, what the heck do I know about family? What do I, I am no expert. I have not written any books on family. I have maybe never read any books on family. <laughs> and I started to get really nervous. Um, as a son, as a brother, as a husband and father, uh, everything I've learned about family, uh, I've learned by accident. Uh, and so, I, I, honestly, I don't have to think very hard to come up with some examples of family. Uh, messy, uh, dysfunctional family stories. When I was younger, me and my brothers and sister used to play a game called Beat em in the Face. It's exactly what it sounds like. And it wasn't over until somebody was crying. Uh, my brother Nathan once almost killed my sister Jillian with a cantaloupe. <laughs> There's too many details in that story to get into, but it's true. It happened. Uh, it's real. Uh, when Adrian and I first got married, uh, I was the only one working, and I made the mistake of calling it my money. So that didn't go over very well. Uh, when Justice was a baby, I let him fall, roll off the couch more than once, more than twice. And the dysfunction isn't only contained to my own personal family. Uh, when I married Adrian, her side of the family brought their own flavor of dysfunction into the mix. Uh, they live in rural Arkansas, where a few family members live on the same stretch of dirt road in the forest. And uh, this is a true story. I'm not, I'm not making that up. You get off the plane, and then you get on a hovercraft, and then you take a quad and hike. No, it's, that, that's made up. But it's, they live in this rural area, and uh, Adrian's uncle's wife, who just lives a couple of lots down, um, they were raising a pet deer that they had in a uh, enclosed-off area, and they had named it, and they had a collar on it, and it was their family pet. It's, this is Arkansas, guys. Okay, it's a little like Alberta. And, uh, and so a few lots over, Adrian's papa lives, and he was sitting on his porch one day uh, watching the squirrels, and he sees this beautiful elk cross his uh, front driveway, and so it's Arkansas. The gun comes up, and the, the buck goes down, and as he's walking over, he realizes this deer is wearing a blue collar, and he had murdered the family pet. Family can be messy. Very literally, family can be messy. It is difficult. It is not easy. And we are going to make all sorts of mistakes when it comes to family. And so that's why I think it is just so crazy that there seems to be this immense amount of pressure on each of us to make our families appear like we have it all together, to hide our dysfunction, to bury our dead deers in the backyard so nobody knows about them. And there's this pressure 
to put on a show like everything is okay, even when it's not. Now, I have a personal story about that. A few years ago, uh, we invited Tim and Shauna Jenkins over to our house for dinner, and they're sitting in the front row over here. And uh, we, uh, I, I was going to make this chicken dish I make, and so Adrian went to the grocery store to get the groceries. And when she came back, uh, she's like, I didn't get chicken, I got salmon because I want you to make this uh, whiskey, maple, marinade, salmon thing that you make. And what Adrian doesn't understand about cooking uh, is that a marinade takes time, right? You, and, and Tim and Shauna were on their way over, and now I, I don't have chicken to cook, and it's going to be this big disaster. And we launched into one of our biggest fights ever over salmon. And I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. It was, we got louder and meaner. And then suddenly there was a knock on the door. And Tim and Shauna were there. And the show was on. We laughed. We enjoyed the night. We ate. And they had no idea the tension that was boiling under the surface. When it comes to family, for some reason... We never want to let them see us sweat. We don't want anyone to see the cracks in our foundations. God forbid anyone know that we are not perfect. But we aren't perfect. We don't have it all together. And none of us are experts when it comes to family. We have a thing that we say around here quite often. Everyone is welcome. No one is perfect and anything can happen. And we assume that people who are coming to Fort City are not perfect. We assume that nobody on our teams has it all together. And we assume that our pastors and staff are going to screw up and make mistakes and do things that they wish they didn't do. Some of you sitting here today, I know, I know you're sitting here today thinking to yourself that there is no way that there are other people in this room whose families are as broken and messed up and dysfunctional as your own. You're wrong. You're wrong. This room has every sort of dysfunction that you can imagine. Infidelity, divorce, spouses going through rehab, violence, victims of sexual assault, kids messing with drugs and alcohol, suspensions from school, even the loss of a child. Whatever it is that makes you think that you're messed up or more broken than the family sitting beside you, you're wrong. We are all equally messed up in this room today. And all of our families struggle with dysfunction. None of us are perfect. And I'm here today on this stage because I believe that the only way through our dysfunction is found in the words of the Bible. I'm here today because I believe that for our families to be whole, each one of us needs to find our own personal wholeness through the forgiveness and the power found only in the arms of Jesus. You are not alone here today. You are not too far gone. There is hope for you and your family. And in the next five weeks of this series that we're doing, we are going to have an ongoing discussion about how each of us can find a way to inject just a little bit more sanity and hope into our families. So, a good place to start. The Bible. Uh, 
Let's see what the Bible has to say about families. Let's look at the pages of Scripture and see what there is for you and I to learn about family. So let's start at the beginning with the first family, Adam and Eve. But they're not really a very good example uh, because there was some serious manipulation that went on between the two of them and it ended up uh, getting everybody kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And then not to mention that their son Cain uh, killed his brother Abel in the first recorded murder. Okay, not them. Let's move to a different family. So there was Noah. After the flood, somehow, uh, Noah must have been stressed with all those animals on the boat, and he found himself drunk and naked uh, in his tent, and his son walked in on him, and uh, this was profoundly upsetting for Noah, and so he decided to curse his own son. That's not a very good example either. Okay, maybe Abraham and Sarah. God promised them a son, but when uh, they struggled with infertility, they got a little impatient, and so Abraham had sex with his maid so that he could keep his bloodline going, and then things got messy, you know, in mixed families. Sometimes they do, and there was some jealousy, and then the maid and the son got kicked out of the family. So they're not a very good example. Are you seeing a trend kind of developing here? Let's talk about Isaac's family. Next in line, uh, Jacob, one of Isaac's twin boys, swindled his brother Esau out of his birthright by lying to dad uh, with the help of his mother, Rebecca. This is like a soap opera in the work. Uh, Esau understandably then wanted to kill his brother, uh, and so Jacob ran away to live with his crazy uncle, uh, Laban, who tricked him into marrying his less-than-beautiful daughter, Leah. Uh, then as a goodwill gesture, after seven years, he let him marry his other beautiful daughter, Rachel, just to smooth things over. Okay, that's not good either. Jacob, he had 12 sons. We're not off to a good start with Jacob, are we? 12 sons. Uh, He really liked the youngest. His name was Joseph. He gave him this really beautiful coat. The other brothers got jealous, and so naturally they threw him in a pit and sold him off as a slave to Egyptians. (sighs) David got married, uh, or David got a married woman pregnant. And to try to cover it up, he had her husband murdered. He would end up losing that child, and it would send him into a tailspin. And then eventually, most all of David's children would betray him and try to get him killed. And then one of uh, David's sons, Solomon, ended up having like a thousand wives. So that's not good either. (laughs) Are you starting to feel a little bit better about your own family drama? Are you beginning to realize that you're not alone and that family is a lot harder than we make it appear? It truly is challenging for us to find an example of an ideal family in the first few hundred pages of the Bible. Instead, we read over and over again about family after family that struggled with everything that you can imagine. Why is that? Why is it so difficult to make family work properly? And the truth is, it all goes back to that first family where it all got screwed up. That moment, the first family, Adam and Eve, decided that their way was better than God's way, when they decided that they knew better than their creator, when they decided to go their own way. At that moment, 
something broke in our world. What was meant to be good and pure and spotless became marred in selfishness. And the reason why family is so difficult is because selfishness has become part of our DNA. It isn't natural anymore for us to put others ahead or before of ourselves. It isn't easy to say no to your own desires and needs and to put somebody else's in front of your own. Maybe you can do it for a while. You can be strong. You can do it for a bit. But for many of us, we will stumble and fall and break a lot of things on our way down. And one of the things that I did to prepare for this talk was finally read a book on family. And uh, I was a couple of chapters in, and there was some good stuff in there, but there was a moment that I just had to stop and laugh and kind of shake my head at one of the things that was said. It said, family is always the shelter in the storm. And I mean, that's true sometimes. When things are going perfectly with your family, you can find refuge and safety and love there when it seems like everything is falling apart. But for many of us, And for most of us, family isn't the shelter in the storm. Family is often the storm. Broken relationships, frustrating brothers and sisters, pain, hurt, and grief. Sometimes family is our storm. And the Bible has given us plenty of evidence to back that up. So far... We've kind of scanned through two-thirds of the Bible looking for some really good families that we can model ourselves after. We haven't find, found very much. And so I think we should skip ahead to the life of Jesus to see what Jesus showed us about family. And just quickly, as kind of a side note, uh, parents, if you ever feel like you're doing a bad job, if you ever feel like you're not being a very good parent, you just need to remember that Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, got halfway home before they realized they left the creator of the universe back at the temple by himself. They lost God. (laughs) Okay, whatever you've done, it's not that bad. Okay. The truth is, though, that Jesus didn't really talk very much about family. In fact, the few things that he did say about family are pretty uncomfortable to talk about. One time, Jesus, uh, somebody said to Jesus, I want to drop everything and follow you, Jesus, but first, I I need to go and bury my dad. I need to do his funeral. And to which Jesus said something like, let the dead bury their own dead, uh, but you go and preach the gospel. Not very compassionate another time he says something uh, along the lines he said if you love just as jesus if you love your father or mother or kids more than me then you are not worthy of me that doesn't really feel right to us does it and one time someone let know uh, jesus know there was a big crowd he was in a house and somebody let him know that his family his mother and his brothers were outside uh, and waiting for him. And he just said, uh, kind of aloofly said, well, look around this room. My mother and brothers are in here. Ugh. That's kind of uncomfortable to try to reconcile, isn't it? See, these interactions of Jesus are a little confusing, and outside of their, their context, outside of the stories that they're in, they fly in the face of our modern sentimentality and understanding of family. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't come to earth 
to put a bandage on broken families or to give instructions on how to glue them back together. He entered the world stage so that he could solve the problem at its very core to address the reason why everything seems to be falling apart, not to write a self-help book or, or, or on how to make broken things work again, but to restore broken things to their wholeness. He came to address sin, to make a way for each of us to discover the wholeness of becoming who He originally created us to be. And if you can solve that problem... You can solve any problem. Discovering that truth, putting Jesus in his, and, and His way at the center of our hearts and then at the center of our families is the best way to help our families discover wholeness. And Jesus didn't spend His time teaching on family. He spent His time redefining what the world thought love was. That the last should be first, that the least should be the greatest. When asked what the greatest commandment was, Jesus didn't talk about family hierarchy or power. He said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And in a selfless act of sacrifice, Jesus showed us exactly what it means to love. It means to give yourself up for one another, to exchange self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and selfishness for selflessness. You know, we've sort of scanned a whole chunk of the Bible now, uh, so let's keep going. Let's, let's keep going further through the Bible, see what it has to say about family. Uh, Jesus has uh, now left the keys to the early church in the hands of the apostles. Jesus has come, lived, died, resurrected, and now he's left the keys of the church in the hands uh, of his apostles. Guys like, uh, he, he tasked guys like Peter and Paul and James, the brother of Jesus, with leading his revolution of love. And they're trying to take the teachings of Jesus on love and apply it to everyday life. And because people are coming to these early church leaders and they're asking them, uh, so what, how should we raise our families then? How should we treat each other? They're getting asked these very practical uh, questions. And so these guys, Peter, Paul, James, and others, they took this ethic of love that Jesus had taught them and they began uh, distilling it and explaining how to do that in very practical ways. And one of the ways they, they decided to express it was through talking about family. And this was all happening, uh, in, <clears throat> this was all happening at a time when human rights were not a universal expectation. Loving your neighbor was a stretch because people didn't even love their own families. They didn't treat each other with respect. It was t a time when children were treated as less than human. They were commodities. They had no rights. They were treated poorly in the family structure. Kids didn't even get names until they were six, seven, eight years old uh, so that the parents were no, sure that they were even going to survive. Uh, women were treated like second-class citizens. They were expected to do as they were told. This is crazy and true. If a man wanted to divorce his wife, all he had to do was say the words out loud to her. He held all the power. She, she had no rights within her family. He held all the cards, and she was at her mercy 
His mercy. There was just no equality. Our modern understanding of equality and rights did not exist at the time that the apostles are trying to take those, the message of love that Jesus preached and turn it into real life, practical uh, teaching. There was zero equality. And this sort of uh, social disparity did not reflect the gospel message of Jesus well. It could not reconcile with the message and ethic of love that Jesus had showed everybody in his life. And so Paul sat down to write a letter to a church called in Ephesus, and he drew on those teachings of Jesus to write it to give instruction and guidance to Christian families. And this is, how, this is what he said, talking about Christian families. He said, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It would be easy for us to scan right past that same statement and, and I, I miss just how counter-cultural it was at the time. In this ancient society, it was the person who held the biggest sword who got to make the decisions. The ones with power used it to control the ones who didn't have any. And this was true of governments and rulers, but it also permeated society all the way down to the family unit. Families worked the same way. And so what Paul is doing here in this statement is he is flipping everything that these people know onto their heads. He's saying what we are doing is not working. The way we have been doing it is wrong and it's time for a change. He's saying submit now to one another. Give yourself to each other. Devote yourself to each other. Love, it is not selfish. And it is not self-serving. And who are the ones who stood the most to gain from this revolutionary idea of Paul's? It was women and children. Paul's challenge to submit to one another, his countercultural idea on love, elevated the status of women and children in a society that was content on forgetting about them. It gave dignity to women and children that they had never experienced before in history. And Paul knew that power used to prop oneself up paled in comparison with power that is used to lift others up. And so for our families to thrive... For us to discover the power that God has placed at the center of the family unit. I think we need to learn to submit to one another. And not in some weird sort of absolute obedience kind of way. But to submit to each other in love. To answer anger with patience. To answer pettiness with kindness. To meet jealousy with grace. And to answer pride with humility. Paul goes on to address each part of the family individually because his idea only this idea of submission only works if everybody is on board. And so, uh, if one of the part of the family, uh, you know, commits in self-interest, uh, it, it, it hurts the rest of the family, and the rest of the family family has to carry that burden. First, he addresses the wives, then he addresses the husbands, and then the children. But the message is the same for each. These messages are, are not different. 
And I'm going to quickly scan through them. He said, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he sums it all up in one line. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, it can be easy for us to read something like this. And instead of figuring out how we are going to apply it, uh, we focus on how it applies to others. Last month, I heard a story. I told it once before. I'm going to tell it again because it's so great uh, about Mark and Claire Sawatsky and their son, George. Uh, This amazing story. Claire was sitting on the couch and she heard George in the other room kind of making some sound. And so she got up to investigate what he was doing. George is four. And, uh, and so she finds George, and he's unpacking the individual packages of toilet paper uh, and putting them where they're supposed to go on the shelf. And Claire got to have this brief moment of pride, and, uh, and she, said to, she said, George, what are you doing? And he said, Mom, I'm, I'm just helping. In Kid City, they taught me how to have a servant's heart. Right? They're learning stuff upstairs. Maybe more than we're learning down here sometimes. And Claire got to have that brief moment of pride before George went on to ask and say, Mom, you know why you yell you know how you yell at me all the time? It's because you don't have a servant's heart. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think Claire probably has a servant's heart. Just just George was probably wrong. Probably. You know it's funny. But we do this very exact same thing as adults. We learn a valuable lesson. And instead of looking inward at how to apply it to ourselves, we look outwards and try to fix the people around us. I like that Paul chose to address each member of the family individually and mostly say the same thing to each of them. That way you can know which part is for you. So like men... You don't get to use Ephesians 22 as a way to tell your wife to submit. It's not addressed to you. It has nothing to do with you. Right there at the start, it says W-I-V-E-S. Wives, it is addressed to wives. You should look for the verses addressed to you and apply them to you. Don't use these instructions to try to hold other people accountable. Look at this verse that's been addressed to you and then seek to hold yourself accountable. Do your best to do your part. This principle isn't just for kids and parents. Many of us have brothers and sisters that are extremely trying, uh, that drive us crazy. We have moms and dads and step-parents who we fight with. Uh, Families are big and far-reaching, and so is the hurt that sometimes families uh, accompany. If you can discover your wholeness in Jesus, if you can learn the power of submission, you will survive any storm that your family goes through. You can weather any storm your family creates for you. When Paul wrote these words that we're talking about today, they were based on what he learned from the life of Jesus. And when it came to Jesus, everywhere he went, he was the most important person in the room. Imagine that. God on earth with us, wherever he would go, he was the most powerful, the greatest, the most amazing It didn't matter who was in the room with him. Kings, generals, celebrities. Jesus 
was number one. And the amazing thing about that, the crazy thing to to realize in that, is that Jesus never once used his own importance to his own advantage. He was God in the flesh, but he never once leveraged that power to his own personal benefit. Instead, the God of the universe lived his life in constant submission. He time and time again took the role of humble servant. Just imagine for a moment with me that what it that moment where Jesus decided that he was going to give up all of his power and become a man just to try to give us some hope. When the brokenness of the world became too much and the time had come for God to do something about it and Jesus stood there with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit looking down on this messed up, broken world and knowing what it was going to cost him, knowing what he would have to give up, he chose to submit himself, to defer his power and authority and take on human likeness and to be born as a man. And when Paul is talking about submission, this is what he is talking about. When he's talking about loving uh, like Christ loved the church, it's this sort of drastic submission of God stepping off his throne to be one of us, of God deferring his self for our gain. Paul wrote a poem that is just incredible. Uh, and, And I'll read it to you. He said, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The creator of the universe, the one who holds this all together, humbled himself, submitted himself on our behalf, and became obedient to death. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There... There is no secret formula to having a perfect family. There aren't enough books or band-aids that can to cause meaningful change. But if you can find your wholeness in Jesus, if you can model your life after His incredible sacrifice, His constant submission, and His unconditional, uncomfortable love, then you give your family the best chance that they have to survive this storm. You give your family the best chance it has to become the thing that God created it to be. Let me take a moment to pray. Father God, I thank you this morning for the chance that we have to look at your word and to see what it has to say about family, to see what it has to say about discovering wholeness. And I just want to take a moment to acknowledge the pain and the grief and the frustration and the brokenness and the dysfunction that exists in this room. 
Jesus, would you remind each of us that we are not alone in that. That we are not alone in our pain. And Jesus, would you enter the room too? Would you come by our Holy Spirit and begin a work in us, helping us to discover our wholeness in the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? That when we become whole, things around us become whole. And if we look to you, we will find the answer for what we need. I pray for each person here today, Father God, that you would bless them, that you would help their families to thrive, that parents would uh, be patient and loving with their kids, that kids would be patient and obedient with their parents, that brothers and sisters and family drama and all the pain, that, Father God, that you would be there and begin a work in each person's life of reconciliation, of restitution, of redemption of the things that have been broken. Jesus, do the things that only you can do. I pray this in your holiest of names. Amen.